Happy Sunday, everybody. Uh, I hope you all had a beautiful uh, 4th of July uh, celebration and just a day of remembrance, a day to remember our freedoms and the cost um, that was paid for us to have this ability even today to gather on the Lord's Day in the name of Jesus uh, without fear of persecution or um, censorship because of what our Declaration of Independence our U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights affords us as Americans, uh, and we are definitely thankful for what Christ has done for us ultimately on the cross, that through him, by him, and for him, uh, our sins were paid. Uh, we were restored. We were reconciled to God. Our spirits were brought alive in Christ, and today we celebrate and we remember. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Dearly Father, we just thank you so much for your love, mercy, your grace. We thank you for today. We pray that you be with us, lead us, and guide us. Uh, Lord, that you give us hope and peace and rest. Uh, Father God, I just pray your blessing upon all the residents and staff of Baltimore Lopez. We pray that you be with them, comfort them, draw near to them, assure them of your presence, of your, your their salvation, and of your purpose. Uh, Lord, we thank you and praise you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today is the last day of First Peter chapter 5. Um, we started this back many, many months ago. I, I think it was actually before Christmas we dove into First Peter. It might have not. It was right after Christmas. And we've stepped through this book, through this little letter, uh, with um, great care because of its message and how relevant it is for us today in a world that is full of hopelessness. Um, I've had a lot of hard conversations over the last week. Uh, I've met a lot of people, talked to a lot of people who are in hard places, dire straits, who are uh, in their spirits truly crushed and, and broken and full of heartache and pain people who have lost hope in humanity, even some who've lost hope in themselves. Uh, several uh, families that I've spoken to have lost loved ones from, from suicide because of the overwhelming pressure uh, that they were facing inside their head. And, and that is heartbreaking. It's As a pastor and as a human being, it is very hard to hear. Um, and And that just reminds us of the fragileness of life and that uh, we can never um, take for granted any moment that we live. And so uh, we read here, and I'll start at verse 6 uh, through the end, verse 14. So First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 14. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, 
strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regarded him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you in Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. And and we last week we covered all the way through verses six and seven. And we talked about the, the need to rest underneath God's hand. And when we begin to act differently, uh, God might move his hand uh, from us and allow the consequences of our actions to come upon us. And that is never a place we want to be. Uh, I, I feel that sometimes we look at the verse that says, be sober minded, and we're very quick to jump uh, to some conclusions um, Many people have used this uh, verse uh, and the other three or other two that are like it and Peter as a a means to stay away from alcohol or chemicals uh, that would alter your thinking. And and I'm not saying that they're completely wrong. I think there's a a need for sound mindedness that we are clear in our thoughts, Um, you know, that there is. From all the way back in chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. But here, it's not about abstaining from something that would alter your mindset. It's about setting your mindset on something that is uh, your full your hope. You know, it's setting your, your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. And then later on in Uh, uh, where I lost it and and I think it's in chapter 2 but it says being sober minded and uh, having your mind uh, sharpened and quickened and and I think that then is same true here that we we hear he's actually pitting that sober mindedness to our anxieties that our mindset is not fixed on the worries of this world or things that are or things that have uh, could come, but that we are fully locked, that our mind is fully uh, trusting in the Lord. It's like what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 26, 3. And many people quote this. I, I actually find this very verse very helpful. And it says, and you give him perfect peace. Now, if you, if you just stop there, uh, that's very beautiful. Uh, it's very reassuring. You give him perfect peace. But that's not all that Isaiah says. He says, you give him perfect peace for he trusts you and his mind is fixed. You know, so it's like on a a laser lock on a target that there's there's a pinpoint uh, of a lock, target lock done. And so basically, the only way that we can truly find peace with the Lord or peace with God is by having our minds set on him and trusting him and knowing him. And therefore, we can have peace in our minds and in our hearts. Pete Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 4. says, uh, be anxious about nothing but everything through prayer and supplication. Well, we know that we're not praying to a rock or a log or some 
idol or some something that doesn't exist. We're praying to God. So our mind is fixed on God. And this is when we cast, when we pray and we give our prayers to God, he says, then God will give uh, peace that surpasses all understanding and will guard our heart and mind. So, so there, there is something in this that, that God's, none of the scripture writers, God's not trying to say, don't, don't be oblivious to the hardships or the heartaches. Uh, many of us have faced a lot of hard things uh, in, in, in recent days or weeks or months. We've been separated from loved ones. We've, gone, we've had the scare of the economy crashing or, or a virus or now we have this surgence of racial tension and, and there's, all, there's always things, there's always something in the news cycle that seems to be wanting to uh, get us to fear and to be anxious and to worry and to doubt and to second guess ourselves. Am I doing the right thing this way or that way? Or, or could I do the right thing a better way? Or, or should I be doing this or doing that? And, and when we get fixed in that pattern of thinking, we are not sober-minded. Our, our, our mind is not clear. Our mind is not at rest. Our mind is not at peace. Our mind is double-minded, it's distracted, it's, it's confused. Uh, so often, uh, I think you all know this from, from conversations past, but you know, I do a lot of counseling, a lot of pastoral counseling, and, and I often tell people that emotions are Ill- irrational, illogical, they're temporal, and, and they're fleeting. And, and they, those emotions that we get ourselves caught up in, so often lead us into very rash and typically very silly situations, situations that we otherwise would have not done. And not all negative emotions, not necessarily fear or anxiety, but but like an impulse buy. You know, you find something you like, you see that pretty new truck or that you know, that new suit of clothes or, or whatever the case might be, and you and you out of impulse, out of whether you want self-gratification or whatever that emotional impulse was, but we do things um, on a whim. And even on love, I think even often we do things um, that we would think would be right as a parent or spouse in the name of love, and it often leads to uh, a lot of hard things too. So the joy here is right here, be sober-minded. And it is that our mind is clear, that, that our thoughts are pure that we've really rationalized and we've checked ourselves as as we move forward before we get ourselves caught up into things that we don't need to be chasing and then we be watchful so once our minds are are free from anxieties and worries when our minds are 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 ready to consider what's next we are then able to stand guard and this day and age, we need people to be standing guard. So if you're not at a place where you could be sober-minded, have someone around you who is sober-minded and that they can be watchful or vice versa. If you are sober-minded, be that person who's watching out. Because people are going to say a lot of things that they don't mean in order to, to feel good or sound good or, or to be encourageable. Uh, and it actually ends up turning to be against us. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, this is a metaphor. This is like a, right? So the word like. So Satan isn't a lion. 
and he really isn't even a serpent, but he was a fallen angel, a real being, and for whom many want to disregard. But he's he's not out to get us and to devour us in the sense that he's going to physically eat us. Uh, I don't know of anyone who's been physically eaten by uh, the devil. Uh, I've heard of people being attacked by lions, but typically uh, the the devil's going to attack our mind. He's a liar. He's going to make us question ourselves. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Satan said to Eve, did God really say? Is that what really God said? Is that is that the truth? Do you believe that to be so? What is your evidence? How, how do you know this is the case? And I think very much for you and for me that we just have to be careful with that information that we are ingesting. And no matter the, the news source or the outlet or the whether it's in print or online or over the radio or TV, that we have to be careful with every bit that we are ingesting because it is potentially going to come with an agenda. And, and an agenda that's going to get us off of Jesus because that's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to divide us. He's trying to, to come against one another. Um, you know, it's it's the white on black or black on white or white on Hispanic or Hispanic on black or, or Asian and so on and so forth. We, we will be people forever divided by property lines and skin tones and gender and things that would keep us from being unified in Christ so long as the devil would see fit. And thus, Peter writes, resist him. Now, let's not be silly and think that we need to actually put on boxing gloves and actually start you know, physically fighting, but how do we resist him? We resist him by being firm in your faith, knowing. So there's a knowing that 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 there's something knowing more than ourselves. That's what we learned at the beginning of First Peter, that we can grow in knowledge and understanding. But this is knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Now, I, I think this, this could be in different ways. He's not specific, but in context, a lot of people are anxious. So you aren't alone in your anxieties. Now, that may not make you warm and fuzzy or make you feel special, but the reality is, is many of us back then and even today are facing these anxieties. We face the same worries and fears that want to trip us up and keep us from the truth and, and that it is a shared experience and that, that others are going through this too. And probably there's some others who have it worse. You know, I think of my brothers and sisters uh, in the Dominican Republic or in Haiti or I know of people in Uganda, Africa, and South Sudan. There, there's tons of, of people who are suffering in different ways, in many ways. And we have to encourage one another together. And, and here comes a hope. Number verse 10. And after you suffer a little while. Now, no one likes to suffer. I don't like to suffer. I don't like when I have a body ache or toothache or a headache. I don't like when I'm tired or fatigued. Uh, I don't know if anyone really does. I, I think that's, you know, part of our humanness, our human condition is that we go through things physically or psychologically in our minds or maybe even in our hearts when we see someone suffering. Like I said earlier, that that I have very much, you know, seen people who are in, in hard places. And it is really hard to... Um, not 
kind of have that empathy with them that also breeds heartache and pain. Whether it's a husband and a wife going uh, through a divorce or, or having to help a, a loved one plan a funeral for their, for their family member, whether it's knowing that someone has the disease or an illness, someone's lost their job or lost their home. But, but it is that we've all will suffer for a little while. Uh, and then after that, to knowing that, that, that it does it last for a season. But in the end, would be another way to say that, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, right? So this is the everlasting life that Jesus promised back in John three sixteen, right? So for God so loved the whole world, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so Peter's just saying it in a slightly different way. Instead of just eternal life, he's saying eternal glory. But it is glory. It is being able to see God face to face. Right? Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians that we see God dimly lit, like or in a mirror that's dimly lit. We, we all know what it's like to grope around in the dark when we have just a little bit of light, but it's not enough to really make a difference. And we kind of try to feel around with going what's going on. But eventually the lights will come on and we'll see fully. And when we see fully, what we see is the glory of Christ. And so God has, God of all grace, who is going to give us grace through all of our sufferings. So if you face that hardship, you hit that heartache, you know, you hit that stumbling block where you're just uh, downcast and and downtrodden and, and sad and worried and afraid and maybe you, you even say things that you typically wouldn't say. Maybe you get mad at God. Maybe you just want to shake your fists at the heavens. But the God of all grace, the God of all grace, is going to call you when it's time. And he's going to call us to an eternal glory. So he's going to call us from this earth to something greater, this everlasting life with Christ. And it says, will himself. So, so God himself will call you and, is, and he will do something. It says he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. So, so when, when you, we've all, one of my favorite shows growing up, and, and I have for many years, I haven't watched in a while, but I did like it very much, was This Old House. Uh, with Bob Vila, right? And, and, and they would uh, find, typically in New England, they would find this old colonial home that had been around for hundreds of years and had different renovations and remodels, but it was time to restore this old house, to, to bring new life to it, whether it was a plumbing project or a new deck or maybe it was a complete overhaul. But there's something in us that God's going to do that he's going to restore to either A, the pre-fallen time to like in the Garden of Eden before we knew sin, or he's going to restore us to the place uh, that we belong, such as being a son and daughter of God. He's going to confirm. So if you ever had any doubts, you will know for certain what you have been called to and what you're being restored to. You will be strengthened. There will be a sense within you that you will never doubt again, that you can hold fast to the truth for all of eternity. And then he will establish you. You know, as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, so we too will share in this glory of God. To him belongs the dominion forever and ever. 
And it's just, this is Peter's simple acknowledgement of the proper position of God. So often we, we, we want to be in charge. We want to be in dominion. We want to rule and we want to make the rules. We want to um, be our own boss, be so independent or self-reliant. But, to, but in this statement, we recognize that God is supreme, that he is, has dominion forever and ever. So I know we're approaching an election year or we're in an election year and we're approaching election team, but every president, every congressman, senator, uh, elected official, they each one of them has a season. They, they, they're, whether they serve for four years or 50 years, they, their, their reign or their rule is temporary. But God's reign started well before they ever were even a thought and they will last long and his reign will last long beyond their death until they just become a blip in the in history and a small you know footnote to uh, everything that's really going on and then we have this final greeting there's um, a lot of the the disciples or the apostles had people who would write for them so Silvanus is this man. He he was a, a disciple, a faithful brother, as Peter refers to him. And he says, he wrote, I have written briefly to you. So he's literally by Silvanus. So, so I dictated and Silvanus wrote. And we would trust that Silvanus wrote uh, what Peter was saying. Maybe Silvanus helped craft some of the sentences so they would make more sense. Uh, maybe Silvanus was a better speller than Peter. Um, but what we believe that all scripture is inspired by God, but it did have to be physically written. And so people had to write this down. Maybe Peter was in a physical condition where he couldn't write. We, we, we're really not sure, but, but we know that these are Peter's words written by Silvanus and, and that it is the true, right? And thus he say, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And even that, part he felt that one more time he needed us to stand firm in our faith just as he said in verse 9 a few sentences back and then it goes she who's in babylon who is likewise chosen she was some woman uh, we don't know exactly who it was there's a lot of rumors and guesses but we really since we don't know her name we don't know who she is but she was a woman in babylon we don't not necessarily sure where babylon is that it could have been the, the, the nation of Babylon, the city where King Nebuchadnezzar and other Xerxes were, uh, did not exist anymore. It, it was torn down by the Persians and then eventually conquered by Alexander the Great. So it, it wasn't a place. It's gone. But this could be Rome. This could be somewhere else. Um, and then likewise, Mark, who's John Mark, who we also read about in the Gospel of Acts. And But that story is for another day. And so lastly, we close... Uh, this great book with these few words of greet one another with a kiss. Now, don't, can't tell you to go kiss one another because of, you know, all the precautions that we're taking. But, but there should be within us as we greet one another, a a a a sign of love. That that I I mean we were at church this morning and, you know, a lot of people who I would have normally shook hands with or hugged or given a high five to um, did not happen. 
you know, it, it, we're just so, we're doing these air hug things or elbow bumping people. It's, it, it's weird because it doesn't feel as loving or natural as we normally would greet someone. But I think we can still, in our eyes, in our words, maybe even in our smiles, be able to uh, uh, present to someone a, a sense of love. And, and I think that's truly what the world needs now. We, we really need people to know and experience and embrace and express the love of Christ, thereby producing peace to all who are in Christ. And that there's a mutual agreement between us all that we can be peaceable and harmonious within the body of Christ. Now, it is going to be very hard for us to have peace with people who are not like-minded, who do not follow the same God and, and Savior, people who worship different things. And, and it doesn't mean we, we try to be enemies, but that within the body of Christ, whether we be Protestant or Roman Catholic or Orthodox, that we can have peace in Christ, and that's what something we should be all striving for. So thank you for sharing this time with me. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor and to care for you. Uh, you are in my thoughts and prayers regularly. I think as we get ready to move on to the next book, um, maybe it's Second Peter, maybe it's Galatians, uh, I will determine that this week. But um, continue to pray for me. I need it. I, I am as human as each of you, and I need encouragement and hope and strengthening as well. So let's pray as we dismiss, and then we'll go about our day. Uh, dearly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for these, these regular reminders that we can trust you with all of our anxieties and all of our fears, and we are to cast them upon you so that we can think clearly, that we can walk in your grace, that we can be near you in any situation, be with the uh, facility, the staff, the doctors and the nurses, and all the residents and their families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Miss Mary.